are so good. So good. Father, thank you for the love you have for us. I pray this morning as we enter into a time in the Word that your love would be present to us even as we're together and that it would sink deep into our hearts and so we are, until we are fully convinced of your great and unconditional love for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to thank our worship team for leading us this morning. Great job, you guys. Thank you. Amen. There's some fun stuff going on here, worship-wise. I think God is up to something, and he's been moving, and we're going to keep praying that direction. Um, oh, by the way, here we go. Just <coughs> You were confused by the sport code, but it's just, you know, for the big reveal. Oh, yes. There we go. Much better. <laughs> Dalton, come on. We're friends now, and I'm judging your chili next week. Watch yourself. <coughs> All right, well, we are in a six-week series. We're looking at the uh, vision of what we are here at Hope Covenant, and we're in week three of that six-long series. We started the year this way. We're looking at the place that God has called us to be. We're, we're looking at the things that are central to who we are as a church here at Hope. These are the things that shape what we do and how we do the things that we do. Um, and so why don't you read with me? Let's see if we get it on the screen here. Um, Hope is a place is the slide I'm looking. There we go. You guys, let's read this together. Hope is a place where imperfect people belong. God moves, lives change, and love acts. And so we've been looking for the last couple weeks at the imperfect people belong piece right there. And um, I just want to sum up, like the sign that we have outside, I've said this the last couple weeks, it's not just a, it's just not a catchy slogan. This is central to who we are. We didn't just pull that out of thin air. Imperfect people belong um, and no perfect people allowed. This is the kind of life that Jesus lives. So when we look at the stories uh, of Jesus in the Gospels, he just fleshed this out. He showed us. And that's where we get our statements like that, that imperfect people belong. So last week that pulled me into unpacking probably my favorite story in the New Testament. It was the story of the prodigal son. And we just, if you were here, you remember we just looked at the part of the story that was the younger son. And so if you remember the story, it's the story of a father and two sons, right? So last week we did the younger son and we looked at that. And the theme last week was imperfect people belong, even, even rebel hearts, even the prodigal son, even that younger son. And this week we're going to move on to the older son in the story. And this week our theme is imperfect people belong, even stubborn hearts. Like mine and yours, anybody sometimes have a stubborn heart? A couple of us, okay. So I'm going to summarize real quick the first part of the story, in case you weren't here, and then we're just going to pick it up from there, okay? This is a story of a father and two sons. Jesus is telling this story to a group of folks, and in the first part of the story, there's this younger son, and he takes what's not rightfully his, he disrespectfully demands it from his father, and then he takes off and blows all his father's money. Then he comes to his senses, and he comes back home, and when he comes home, it looks like he's shocked to see that he was embraced, and that his return was celebrated by his father. Now, if we look at that younger son, and we look at our own lives, I think we can all relate to the younger son in one way or another. We are all prone to wander. 
our hearts look to other things to try to satisfy these deep longings within us. And inevitably, from time to time, we walk away from God, this Father, who actually loves and cares for us. And when we do that, (laughs) and we all do that, it's like trying to drink from a well that just leaves us even more thirsty. Yeah, and then when, like the younger son does, we come to our senses, when we return to the Father heart of God, we're forgiven, we're embraced. His love for us is amazing. His grace is stunning. See, we each receive the love and grace of the Father, and then, by the way, what we're called to do is to give it away, to give away that same love and grace he extends to us. We extend that to the people around us. That's the heart of, of who we are here at Hope. It's part of what we mean when we say imperfect people belong. Now, remember the context of the story here. Again, if you were here last week, Jesus is telling this story in front of a group of people that are two kinds of people. It says the, the Pharisees, the religious folks are in there, and there's the tax collectors and sinners in the room, okay? And with these stories here, Jesus is sending a clear message to the religious types. He's saying, not only do I not apologize for accepting these people that you look down on, you need to know that flat out what you see here and how I love these people, that's the true heart of God. And so Jesus shows us that with the story of the younger son, and that would have been dramatic enough and probably offensive enough, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He introduces another character into the story of the lost son, and if you thought things were a little tense before with the religious folks, you haven't seen anything yet. Jesus is turning up the heat here. Some might even say uh, he's picking a fight. Listen to this, Luke 15, I'll start reading at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he saw, or he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? And the servant said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all of these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering all his money on, or all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf that we have? And then his father said to him, look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your, your brother, <laughs> this son of yours, no, no, your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, and he's found. John Ortberg says about this story that for every prodigal that comes home, and that's all of us, he said, but for every prodigal that comes home, there's, there's one, or one of two things will happen to you. Either you will become like the father, or you will become like the older brother. And so what I notice that is even as we follow Jesus in our life, whether we've been Christians for a long time or a short time, we tend to drift back and forth between the posture of, the father, to the posture of this older brother, right? It's not always just strictly one or the other, right? Anybody recognize that in your own? Yeah? So here's here's the good news, by the way. If you are a follower of Jesus, um, if you are one of his, then the truth about you is that the heart of the father is already wired inside of you. 
It's part of the identity that he gave to you. And so it's the most natural thing for you to do in terms of what's congruent with who you are, really are in Christ, to have that heart of the Father. Which is part of when I do act like the older brother and I, and I get cynical or bitter or cold, my heart knows it doesn't jive with who I truly am, how God wired my new heart. And if I stay camped out in that older brother place, the joy of life just gets drained out of me. So I'm going to invite you, as we go through the rest of this talk, to look real seriously at your heart and ask, ask God to identify and begin to even remove any remnants of this kind of older brother syndrome from your life, like I've been asking him to remove from mine this week. So we'll go back, we'll walk through the story from, from the top of the older brother part. Um, so what would happen, right? The son comes home, father embraces him, calls for a party, and the older brother, he's out working in the fields, probably like he did every day, and he gets done, and he's approaching the house, and there's a party going on. There's <laughs> a party going on. Now, I think that if all were right in the heart of this boy, then this older son would immediately enter into the party, enter into the joy, whatever the source of the joy was. But he's suspicious from the very beginning. So he asks a servant outside the party, hey, what's going on? And the servant tells him, your brother's come back, your father's killed the fatted calf that we've been saving, and there's a party, there's a party going on. Now, this calf would have been enough food to feed the entire village. So there would have been feasting and music and dancing and drinking. Yeah, no, probably, right? And it would go late into the night. And then Jesus says this about the older brother, verse 28. Then he became angry and refused to go in. See the older son, he resented his brother for leaving in the first place. He resented him for sullying the family name. He resented him for all the extra work that he had to do with the younger brother gone. Then he resented him for repenting. And he resented his father for taking him back. And he resented all the people that were coming to this party. You ever, you ever notice how impossible it is to celebrate or feel any kind of joy when we resent someone else? How impossible it is to join the party when we're ticked off? Right? Think about this, right? Uh, somebody gets a promotion, and instead of rejoicing and celebrating with them, we grumble about how we are so unappreciated. Like, oh yeah, there we go again. I just slave away day after day. The boss never notices or praises me. And Goofus here, everything she does gets you know, front page news. Ah, to top it off, she gets a promotion, I get nothing. And the prodigal son comes back, the father embraces him, says, we gotta celebrate this son of mine was lost and now he's found and the party begins. And so the father, the servants, the entire village, like everybody enters into joy through this whole story, except for one person, the older brother, the older brother. There's a party going on, and the person the father would most expect to be joyful is the one joyless person in the whole bunch, and the older son just refuses to go in. Now, again, think of the culture in Jesus' day here. This is a serious deal to Jesus' listeners. 
In those days, in that culture, as the oldest son, the older brother would have kind of a semi-official responsibility to be a joint host with the father at a public celebration like this. So, you know, mingle with guests and make sure everybody has enough food to eat, stuff like that, right? He'd be expected to co-host, and then if he had some kind of argument with his father, he'd be expected to bring that to his father later later, in, in private, but at the very least, in that culture, he would, have, he would have served as a joint host. So when this older brother refuses to go in, this is a highly dramatic action to Jesus' listeners that were hearing him tell this story. Like this older son is deliberately, openly choosing to publicly humiliate his father. And everybody would have noticed this, like, whoa, okay. Right? And Jesus' listeners would expect the father, oh, here we go, he's going to be furious. And the father would have every right to be furious. Like, he could, he could simply just, you know, order his son into the house. He doesn't have to go out there and try to reason with his son. I mean, parents, right, we know how this works. Parents, right? When I was a kid, I tried to get out of, my mom and dad can testify to this, they're right here. When I tried to get out of doing something that my parents wanted me to do, often, probably, I would say to them, well, why? You know, why? Right? And they're pretty, pretty nice people, so they would reason with me, maybe for a little bit. But eventually, when they got tired of my negotiations, right, Dad, and maybe couldn't think of any other reasons to go, well, here's why, here's what they would do, they would fall back on a naked appeal to power and authority using the same phrase that all parents have used since Adam and Eve, right? right? Why should you do that, anyone? Oh, you guys have the same parents, too. It's amazing. Wow. Whew. How many of you, when you were a kid, you were like, oh, I swear I'll never say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right? When I was a kid, I swore I'd never do that. But then, of course, I had a child of my own, and for the first decade and a half of his life, that was one of my favorite sayings right there, yeah. But in this story, like the father could have ordered his son, just get in that house because I said so, and the son probably would have gone. See, the son understands about orders. But remember, just as was true for the younger son, the father doesn't just want another hired servant. See, God's top priority for you and me is not simply external obedience. He wants to be connected to our heart, and that cannot be forced. A heart cannot be given grudgingly. See, there's a door to your heart, <laughs> and you alone hold the key, and God Almighty himself will not force that door open. So, the father goes out in humble love. <laughs> Even though he could come out in power to force the issue, he comes out in humble love. And nobody would expect him to do that. But he, just like the first son, he goes out in humble love and runs to him when we expect judgment and anger. He goes out to the second son in humble love as well. And the text says that he, that he pleads, even though he wouldn't have to do that. Even so. The son will not go in. In a strange way, the older brother seems to enjoy the resentment. It seems like he enjoys torturing himself, just sitting out on the front porch, hearing the music, not going inside. Maybe it feeds his sense of self-righteous superiority. 
John Ortberg tells us how resentment works for those of us who wrestle with older brother syndrome. He says, I read some time ago about a method that is used in the very far north in the Arctic for killing wolves. Hunters will take a slab of raw meat and impale it on a sharp knife and leave it out. A wolf will come and begin to eat it greedily, and they will eat it away until they get close to the knife, and they'll continue to eat, and the wolf will begin to prick its own tongue on the sharp knife. But because of the cold and because of the wolf um, being in such a frenzy over its greed for blood and food, and because the taste of blood excites the wolf, it doesn't realize that the blood that it's consuming is its own blood. And it will go on in this frenzy until it cuts itself so badly that it bleeds to death, destroyed by its appetite for blood. Frederick Buechner writes, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. <laughs> to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, or roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations. To savor to the last toothsome morsel the pain that you are given and the pain that you are giving back, in many ways, is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And perhaps for you, the truth is that deep in your heart, maybe you know that you're enjoying the resentment. I've had seasons like that. Kind of feeds our sense of self-righteous superiority. Last week I told you a little bit about my divorce so I'm speaking from experience on this resentment thing, and I will tell you as plainly as I know how. If you are mired in resentment, you are at the knife right now. And little by little, joy and mercy and kindness and patience are being bled out of you. And I believe that, that, that God is asking some of us, even right now, will, will you let go of the resentments, will you forgive? And listen, maybe you think you can't do that quite yet because what happened, well, so, so will you ask God for the grace to begin to forgive? Like if there's somebody that you need to talk to and extend forgiveness to, will you, will you talk to them? Will, will, will you make a phone call today um, if you have to? Not a, not a text or an email. <laughs> will you call? or go see them as soon as you can. And then the older son, there's all this resentment. The father comes out, pleads with him, says, son, there's a party going on. But he won't go in. See, it's amazing. There's a party right inside the door. There's all this joy. But friends, we can't experience the joy that's right there when our hands are full of resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and judgment towards others. See, we got to let it go. We have to let it go to empty our hands so that we can embrace the joy that's right there. Look at verse 28. His father <clears throat> came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've worked hard for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. In all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. But this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate. Kill the finest calf that we have. He's saying, 
it's the other F word, it's not fair. It's not fair. This son of yours squandered the inheritance. He sullied our family's reputation. I've been working my tail off with him gone. Then he comes back and gets the fatted calf. He gets big wages for doing bad. I get no wages for doing good. It's not fair. Like, seriously, isn't he right here? Anybody besides me relate on the whole fairness thing, right? Especially if you were, you know, had siblings. <laughs> and see, it happens to all of us. It happens in work and families, our friendships and our churches. It's the curse of comparison. <laughs> A guy named John Claypool says, A foolproof recipe for misery is comparing oneself with someone else. See, if anybody, right, is happier or more successful or has a better situation than me, I cry unfair. But here's the danger with that when I do that. I can't be caught up in fairness and enjoy life at the same time. (laughs) Unfair? Friends, that is the most miserable way to live. There's a party. (laughs) There's a party going on. Joy is available for the taking. And it may be that some of us are here this morning and we're sitting outside the house on the front porch and we refuse to come inside and we're bitter that somebody else has gotten all the breaks that we're sure should have come our way because we're not the guest of honor at every party, right? (laughs) See, that's a recipe for a miserable life. Let it go. There's a party. There's a party going on. See, I I found that the antidote for the whole unfair thing is gratefulness. Like if we want to get past the comparison disease, we can actually learn to practice gratefulness. Like there's actually a practice that we can do that will help us grow. I mean, seriously, many times, including this week when I was feeling the pull towards, you know, comparing or unfair, you know, how come that guy has this great job and this great life, and you know, I just had to start consciously listing and focusing on things I'm grateful for. And let me tell you, it actually helps. Like, what about a lifestyle like that where can we actually be grateful for our our life, or our own gifts, our our work, our relationships? Can, Can we learn to be grateful for the church that God has given us, for the salvation that God has offered to us? Like, friends, will we be grateful for our very life? Because if we won't, we won't be able to be grateful at all. Take it a step further. Can we learn to then rejoice with the people who are rejoicing? Like, look for somebody who's, who's rejoicing this week. Maybe somebody in your life that's had success in work or, or somebody who has a really great relationship um, or someone whose kids accomplished something impressive. You know, instead of looking at social media and thinking, well, why can't it be me? Will you come to the party that's underway? (laughs) Will you throw your arms around them, write them a note or an email, applaud them, celebrate with them? See, will we have the heart of the father or the older brother? Because it's way easier, believe me, it's way easier, isn't it, to sit on the front porch and judge? Isn't that easier? It's just easier than the other stuff. And when we judge others, we project the worst onto them. And that's all about the older brother, and I know what it's like to get stuck in that. 
But in verse 31, check this out. The father hears this from the older brother, and he spoke to him just like he spoke to the younger son. Verse 31, his father said, look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for this brother, your brother, was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. He is found. And remember, check this out. Like the younger son, he already took his share. Uh, in fact, the older son in that culture usually got two-thirds. So he got his third is gone. And the father says, <laughs> basically saying, listen, everything I have is yours. You want a, a goat? <laughs> son, it's all yours. Every calf, every goat, every board, every nail in the house. See, the older son needs to experience the heart of the father for himself, just like the younger son did. He also is not a hired servant. He's a son. It's almost like he knows the game, he knows the rules, but he's missing the point. He, too, did not know the heart of the father. See, the father says to his son what I believe our father says to us right now. He says, it has always and only been my love. What I've been offering you all these years is me. And if living at home with me is not enough, then all the properties and parties and goats in the world will not be enough. Like every time somebody else is celebrated, it will stick in your craw. It'll choke your heart. See, when the father answers his older son, he's so gracious with him. It's amazing. And at the same time, notice he's firm. He's not going to apologize and stop the party. I mean, you know, that's what the older brother is after here. He wants the father to feel really bad about what he's doing, call the party off, punish the younger son, but the father will not do it. The Pharisees back then, the religious folks, wanted Jesus to stop hanging out with sinners, and they wanted him to start condemning them for being so messed up and imperfect, but Jesus will not do it. And today... The heart of God longs for a church where prodigal sons and prodigal daughters can just come as we are. A place where imperfect people belong. Both rebel hearts and stubborn hearts. Like mine, like yours. See, God longs for a church where the people who are already inside the church embrace others, especially so-called, you know, outsiders right away. Not standing back, afraid, not crossing arms, saying, well, let's see if they just stick around and straighten up first. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's a party going on, folks. See, and in the story here, <laughs> the father has to be thinking at this moment, like, oh, for so long I lived over sorrow for my lost son and I looked for him every day to see if he'd returned and now that I have him back must I lose the heart of my other son and then there's silence just picture the father looking into the eyes of his son the older brother what's he see <laughs> confusion sorrow hurt anger we don't know and then I imagine there's silence. 
Again, picture Jesus' listeners, right? The, the sinners and the Pharisees, all the drama, all the tension in this moment. Some of the people are filled with joy because as they've heard both parts of this story, they think, hey, hey, that was me. I was the one that was lost and I'm back home. And Jesus says that my coming home is cause for the God of the universe to celebrate by throwing a huge party. <laughs> but some, some of his listeners are actually burning with anger at this story because they knew exactly who he was talking about when he talked about the older brother. I picture all of them just standing there, like holding their breath, waiting to see what will Jesus say next? What's the older brother going to do? How will it end? And then Jesus just stops right here at the climax of the story and he walks away. Like the next verse is a whole new chapter. Luke 16, and he's talking to a whole different audience, just his disciples. Like, he never finishes the story. You ever notice that? So I wonder why, okay, why doesn't he finish it? Well, it's not because he couldn't think of an ending, okay? <laughs> Jesus is the greatest teacher, the greatest storyteller who ever lived. No, no, he leaves it hang because I believe, I think, it's a choose-your-own-adventure ending. Anybody remember reading those books as a kid? Choose-your-own-adventure ending. The ending had yet to be written. All of those listening to Jesus would have to decide on the ending. And now, we have to decide. I believe that the story will end one of two ways in our life. One is that the older brother, this could happen. He turns away from his father. He returns to the field. He works in coldness and bitterness of heart. And he never even goes back into the house again, not fully. Like, he does the work, maybe he followed the rules, but he grew to hate his brother and secretly grew to hate his father. And when he died, he died all alone. Story could end that way. Or it could end like this. <laughs> it could end that the older brother, after seeing the love of his father for him, falls to his knees. His hard heart is broken made tender, and he came and enters into the house and sees this emaciated body of his, of his brother, his tear-stained face, and he remembered how they'd grown up together and how they played and fought and worked and loved each other, and this brother, he remembers now that this brother he thought was lost forever, but now they'd never be apart, never again his whole life long, and his heart explodes with love. He throws his arms around his brother, will not let him go. He joins in the celebration in the party and he laughs louder and sings more and dances crazier and cries harder than anybody in the house. And the two sons are reconciled to their father and each other and the celebration goes on to this day. There's a party going on. So, how does this story end? It's, it's up to you. Worship team, will you come? We want to spend a few moments here as we wrap up our morning gathering, giving you time to connect to the heart of the Father. And, and by the way, I want to make sure that we are not feeling scolded or condemned here. Listen, we do drift back and forth from the posture of the father to the posture of the older brother. It's not always one or the other. And again, there's really good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
You've been made new by him. The truth about you is that the heart of the Father has already been wired inside of you. It's the most natural thing for you to do in terms of what's congruent with who you already are in Christ. Which again is part of why when I do act like the older brother and I get cynical or angry or cold, I know it just doesn't jive with who I really am and how God wired my new heart. And if I stay in that older brother spot, the joy of life just gets drained. So in words like this and stories like this, God doesn't shame us, but he will remind us. And maybe for you, like for me, this story is a reminder. So as we begin to worship in a moment and take this time, um, there's an invitation. And like last week, the question is the same. How do you need to come home to the Father's heart today? Is there somebody that you need to begin the process of forgiveness with? Is there somebody that you need to own your stuff with, like to clean up your mess that you made? Um, Are you stuck in comparison, resentment? Are you stuck in anger? Any of those things or others. Just in these next few minutes, ask God to set you free. Uh, Maybe you're going, you know what? I'm ready to start shifting from comparing to gratefulness, to to lay down what I think I deserve or have earned and celebrate what we do have. Um, Any of these things, here's the deal. We all need to come home to the heart of the Father, even rebel hearts like the younger son and even stubborn hearts like the older brother and even hearts like mine and yours. See, the Father longs to run to you right now. Just turn, just ask a step toward that freedom, that joy that's available. Jesus, thank you. God of love and mercy and grace, we invite you into this moment. Holy Spirit, do your work. No condemnation, just an invitation back into joy, into gratefulness for your love, for your grace. sons and daughters of the living God.